Speaking of celebrating Christmas as a family, uh, one of my family traditions at my house, at the Blizzard house, is every Christmas morning before we open any gifts, we go through the Christmas story. I like to sit the kids down and, and we talk through the Christmas story. We've been doing this since they were little. And I dress up, I put on all this funny stuff like pajama pants and a robe and three t-shirts and five neckties, a scarf, a bandana. I don't know why I dress up that way. I think, I think back in the day, I thought like the kids are going to like this. It was going to be funny for them. Now they just kind of look at me like, dad, really? We're like 18, 17, 21, you know, they're looking at me like I'm a little bit crazy, but it's one of my favorite traditions, one of my favorite things to do with my family. And we talk about the Christmas story. We talk about the birth of Christ. We talk about Jesus being born in a manger and, and Mary and Joseph and what that would have been like for them and how Christmas really is. The birth of Christ is the gift and salvation is the gift that we all get to receive. But then a few Christmases ago, um, I woke up and I, and I had this thought like, we talk about Christmas from the perspective of the happy time, like the, the birth of a baby, and we all love uh, the birth of babies. But there's so much more to the Christmas story. And so a few years ago at Christmas time, I decided I was going to read Isaiah chapter 53 to my kids that morning. And it may have come across as a little bit morbid, but I'm going to read it to you here today uh, because this is one of my favorite things to read at, at Christmas. And here's what it says. It says, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was uh, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And as you know, we are in this message series talking about the whole Christmas story, and today I want to talk to you about the cross. I want to talk to you about Jesus, the suffering Savior. Here's something I want you to write down. I want you to catch this from the very beginning. Jesus was born for the cross. Now, when we think about Christmas, we don't often think about this idea of Jesus hanging on a tree. We don't think about this idea of Jesus dying on the cross. I mean, we would all kind of be a little bit freaked out if we walked into someone's house and in the corner where a Christmas tree would normally stand, we see a big wooden cross with a bloody mangled body hanging on it. We don't like to think about that kind of stuff around Christmas time, but Jesus was born for the cross. We sing songs like Away in a Manger and Mary Did You Know, and yes, Mary did know. The angel came and told her just, you know, to clear that up a little bit. But one thing I think Mary did not know was that her baby boy was going to be crucified. See, when she was told that Jesus was going to come in and he was going to be the savior of the world, I know her heart leaped with joy. I know that she felt blessed. But in that moment, I think had the angel told her, by the way, Mary, 33 and a half years from now, he's going to be beaten beyond recognition. He's going to have a crown of thorns placed in his head. He's going to have nails driven through his hands and his feet and a pier driven into his side. 
I think Mary's joy would have turned to sadness and she probably would have said, you know what? I'll pass. But Jesus was born for the cross. We don't often think about this at Christmas time because it's not a pleasant thought. And you're probably thinking, Pastor Jay, save this for Easter. Let's talk about this as Easter. But you can't really cover the whole Christmas story without talking about the cross. Last week, Pastor Brian talked to us about the resurrection and and asked this question, are you empty? Are you empty in the way that God intended, just like the tomb was empty in the way that God intended it to be, that Jesus is alive? And because of that, we celebrate. But here's how we get to that tomb. The cross is how we get to that place. Because again, Jesus was born for the cross. And what I want to do with you today is I want to take a look at seven statements that Jesus made while he was on the cross, seven things that Jesus said while he was nailed to that tree and how those things apply to our life so that we can see the cross through the lens of Christmas by understanding what Jesus was thinking, what he was feeling and what was on his heart in that moment. So we're going to go through seven statements of Jesus while he was hanging on the cross. And the first statement that Jesus made was this. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And for you and me, when I read that statement, what that means to me is that forgiveness is available. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've come from, forgiveness is available. Think about Jesus for a second. You have Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, God himself who emptied himself of his glory, who clothed himself in flesh, who came down from heaven, was born in a manger, who lived a perfect life, and now he's being beaten and whipped and ridiculed and spit on by people who are unworthy to even tie his shoe. This is Jesus being nailed to a tree by men whose lives are full of sin, full of guilt, full of shame, the very people that he came to forgive. And in that moment, instead of Jesus looking on them with disgust, instead of Jesus being angry and calling down legions of angels to destroy all of them, Jesus looks up to heaven and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, for you and me, forgiveness is available because Jesus died on a cross. We can have forgiveness no matter what we've done, whether we did it knowingly or unknowingly. If we are willing to repent, we can have forgiveness because Jesus made a way for you and I to be forgiven. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. Yes, we celebrate his birth, but it's ultimately the price that he paid on the cross is the reason that we really can truly have hope and joy and we can celebrate. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgiveness is available to you and me. The second thing Jesus said was this. He said, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, to give you the context of this, Jesus was hung on a cross between two criminals, two robbers, two men who fully deserved to be there where they were. One of them ridiculed Jesus and said, hey, if you're really the son of God, why don't you take yourself off this cross? If you're really the son of God, why don't you fix this situation? And while you're at it, fix it for me too. The other man looked at the first robber and said, you know what? You and I both deserve to be right where we are. But then he looked at Jesus and said, remember me today when you enter your kingdom. He had a recognition of who Jesus was. And because he had that recognition, Jesus looked at him and said, today you would be with me in paradise. And to me, that means that forgiveness is immediate. Forgiveness is available to you because Jesus said, no matter what you've done, you can be forgiven. But forgiveness is also immediate. That means you don't have to wait for it. You don't have to work your way to Christ to be forgiven. You don't have to do a bunch of good things to be forgiven. You can come to God just as you are right here in this moment. You can come to him and Jesus will say to you, truly, I say today you will be with me in paradise. 
Forgiveness is available, but forgiveness is also immediate. You don't have to wait for it. The third thing Jesus said is this. He said, woman, behold your son. Now that may sound funny to you, but think back to what I just said about Mary a few moments ago. That here you have this young girl who the Holy Spirit comes upon and she's given life inside of her womb in this baby Jesus. And she believes she's going to grow up to be the savior of the world. And now she's watching him as he's hanging on this tree, on this cross, barely recognizing her own son. Scripture says that he had been beaten beyond a point of recognition. I'm sure that as she looked at his body hanging there, she was thinking to herself, what has happened to my son? But Jesus, in this moment, in this moment of pain, in this moment of anguish, in this moment of his body shutting down from what he had been through, in this moment of just total torture and torment, he looks down and he sees his mother. And he says to her, woman, behold your son. Because in their day, it was the custom of the firstborn child to take care of his parents if the father was no longer around. And because there's no more mention of Joseph, the assumption is that Joseph has already passed. And Jesus, knowing it's his responsibility to care for his mother, but knowing that his time has now come, says, woman, behold your son. And as he says this, he says this about the apostle John, because in just a few sentences later, he looks at John and says, John, behold your mother. Jesus was handing that responsibility off to John to care for his mother because he knew he would no longer be there. And for me, what that really means is that Jesus cares about us personally. Jesus isn't some God who's so high and lifted up that he's forgotten about his creation. He isn't some some God who looks down and just shakes his head and doesn't care about the things that you're facing. Jesus cares about what you're going through. So much so does Jesus care about people that in the midst of the the absolute worst moment of his time here on earth, he thought about his mother. He thought about this woman that he was leaving behind. He thought about the pain and the anguish that she must be in, the confusion that she must have had in this moment, not really understanding what was taking place. Yes, she had been told by the angel that your son is going to be the savior of the world, but I bet she did not imagine it was going to happen like this. And I know she had heard Jesus speak. And I know she had heard Jesus say, if you tear down this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. But I know that those words probably floated through her mind and she didn't really comprehend what was going on. And now in this moment, here she's standing there looking at her son, hanging on that cross. And he has the desire to make sure that she knows that she's cared for. Jesus cares about you personally. Scripture says that he has the very number of hairs on your head Numbered. He cares about each and everything that you're going through. In fact, when Jesus uh, rose from the grave and then ascended into heaven, Jesus took on a new role in our life. Yes, he's our savior. Yes, he's the king of kings and Lord of lords. But Jesus is also your high priest. Scripture says in the book of Hebrews that he makes intercession for you before the father, that he pleads on your behalf. He stands before the father to make sure that you're covered, to make sure that you're protected, because Jesus cares about you personally. Forgiveness is available to you, and that forgiveness is immediate. But understand that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, Jesus cares about you. The next thing that Jesus said while he was hanging on the cross is one of the hardest ones for me to read. But he says, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which literally means my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Now, when we read back in the book 
of Isaiah. It talked about how Jesus grew up before the father uh, like a young plant, that the father watched him grow, that the father was, was intimately concerned with how Jesus was growing. And now Jesus forsaken by the father. Jesus hanging on that cross, his body going through pain and anguish, feels like the father has turned his back on him. But if we read in John 3.16, I want to point something out to you. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. And what he gave was his only son. See, the father, when Jesus was in heaven and he clothed himself in flesh, or when he emptied himself of his glory and then clothed himself in flesh, the father gave his son at that moment. But there was another time that the father gave, and that was when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He gave himself for us, it says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him and that whoever means whoever may be struggling with sexual identity or whoever may be divorced or whoever may be addicted or whoever may have depression or anxiety or whoever's lost and broken. You have an opportunity because that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Again, no matter where you find yourself at in life, forgiveness is available to you and that forgiveness is immediate, no matter what you've done, because scripture right here says that whoever believes, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you're facing, if you would only believe you can have eternal life, you will not perish because Jesus cares about you personally. He died in your place. He died for you. He went to the cross for you. He bore the, the guilt and the shame and the punishment that you and I so deserve. He bore all of that on the cross and died in our place. Jesus cares for you. The next thing that Jesus said was, I thirst, I thirst. And when you read this one in John 19, 28, it says that Jesus literally said this so that the scripture would be fulfilled. So there, Jesus was prophesied about in the Old Testament. His birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection were all prophesied about in the Old Testament. And there's a place in the book of Psalm where it talks about how Jesus, when he would be hanging on the cross, that he would be thirsty and that these soldiers would dip a sponge in a sour liquid and present it to him in this moment. And that's exactly what happened. But in this moment, Jesus cried out, I thirst. And what this says to you and me is, that God has had this planned all along. This is not a mistake. This did not happen by accident. God was not caught off or caught by surprise when Jesus was captured and arrested and questioned and beaten and nailed to a cross. God had this plan from the very beginning because when Adam and Eve sinned and it broke fellowship between man and God, man said that I'm going to send, or God said that I'm going to send my seed and through your seed, we would be redeemed. That was the first promise that we were given that we would have redemption in Christ was in Genesis chapter three, immediately after the fall of man, when God said that he was going to put enmity between Eve's seed and the seed of the serpent. And because of that, we have Jesus and God has had this plan to redeem us all along. And that plan had to follow the scripture. The scripture had to be fulfilled. And so Jesus said, I thirst. He said, I thirst so that it could be fulfilled so that we would understand that, yes, this is something that God meant all along. See, in order for us to enter this new covenant, in order for us to enter this covenant of grace, blood had to be shed. 
And Jesus was sent here to be that perfect sacrifice. He was sent here to pay the punishment, to pay the price for my sin and your sin so that scripture would totally be fulfilled because God's wrath had to be poured out on someone. There had to be a sacrifice for sin and Jesus stood in that place. Scripture says that he is the propitiation for our sin, that he took the place for us. And so Jesus said that I thirst so that scripture would be fulfilled so that you and I could see that God had this planned all along. The next thing that Jesus said is this. He said, it is finished. And for me, these are simultaneously the saddest and the happiest words in all of scripture. It's sad because here you have Jesus, this person who did not deserve to die, who took on my sin, my guilt, my shame. He bore my punishment on the cross. And that saddens me and that humbles me. But it's also the happiest moment in scripture because this is the moment that we know for sure that it's done. This is the moment that we know for sure that it's finished. Jesus was born for the cross. And when he came and he died and he said, it is finished, the veil in the temple was split in two so that you and I could have access to the Father again, that we could go boldly to the throne of grace. When Jesus said it is finished, what he was saying was, I have paid the price for their sin. Now, Father, they can return to you. They can be adopted into your family. We can be children of God now because it is finished. Jesus was born for the cross. And we don't like to think about that at Christmas time because we want Christmas to be a a time of happiness. We want Christmas to be a time of joy. And nothing should make us more joyous than the fact that it is finished. It's done. There's nothing we have to do to earn it. We don't have to work for our salvation. There's nothing we could ever do to deserve it. But Jesus came down from heaven. He paid the price for our sin. He allowed himself to be nailed to a tree. And then he said, it is finished. It's finished. It's done. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to live your life feeling like God is this cosmic being who's waiting to strike you down for every wrong that you've done because he loved you so much that he sent his son to die in your place. And today he's offering you forgiveness that's available to you and it's immediate. And Jesus said, it is finished. It's already done. It's already paid for. All you have to do is receive it. Jesus was born for the cross. And if we look back in the book of Isaiah, it says here that he was pierced for our transgressions. And you remember Pastor Brian, when he walked through what happened to Jesus on the cross, he talked about how that spear was jammed into to Jesus' side because it was customary that they would break the legs of the people hanging on the cross so that they could no longer breathe. But because they thought Jesus was already dead, they pierced his side with a spear. They pierced his hands and his feet with those nails. This passage says that he was pierced for our transgression. That means that the pain that he bore was for the wrong things that we had done. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And what that healing means is that we are now spiritually healed. We can have opportunity to be spiritually made alive. When we're born into this world, we're born dead in our sin. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of that finished work on the cross, we can be healed. We can have life in Christ. But there's a problem. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. There's a problem there. 
And that problem is that we followed our own path. We followed our own direction. We haven't followed what God has laid out for us in Scripture. And because we sinned, because we went our own way, because we followed our own path, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. God did this for you. And he did this for me. He gave his only son so that you and I could have life. Do you have life today? Do you have life that is abundant and full? Do you have life in Christ today? Do you have life today? Because God God allowed his son to come into the world. We celebrate Christmas, this time where Christ was born and laid in that manger. But he came into this world so that he could die in your place and so that he could die in my place so that we could have life. Do you have life today? Are you alive spiritually? Is your eternity secure? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are a child of God? There's one more statement. I told you there were seven. We've talked about six. There's one more statement that Jesus made while he was on the cross. He said this. He said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Jesus knew who he had come from. He knew who he was going back to. What about you? What are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in to get back to the Father? Are you trusting in your works? Are you trusting in how much you give? Are you trusting in your church affiliation? Are you trusting in the nation that you were born in? Are you trusting in your family and the fact that your family's been in church your whole life? What are you trusting in? Who are you committing your spirit to? Are you trusting in yourself? Are you following your own path? Like Isaiah 53 talked about how we all had followed our own way and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who are you trusting in? And see, there's this thing, there's this word that's called repentance. And you remember when I, I read John 3, 16, it said that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That passage goes on to say that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God is offering you salvation, but there's something that's required of you. When you get into verse 18 and 19 of John 3, 16, it says that, that God didn't condemn the world, but that, that he gives us life to those who believe, but those who do not believe are already condemned. See, there's something that has to be done. There's a choice that has to be made, and that choice is belief. You and I have to choose, are we going to believe God? Are we going to believe his word? Or are we going to follow our own way? And when we choose to believe God and choose to believe his word, there's this thing that's called repentance that takes place. And repentance is when you and I choose to turn away from where we were going. It's when we choose to turn away from what we were following and follow after God. Jesus said that if we were truly going to follow him, we would have to take up our cross and follow him. See, Jesus born in a manger, lived a perfect life, beaten beyond recognition, crown of thorns pressed into his head, was forced to carry his own cross. He knew that day was coming. So when his disciples talked about following him, he said, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. It may not mean a literal cross for you and for me, thankfully. I don't want to go through that. But what it does mean is that there are some things in our life that we need to be willing to sacrifice, 
some things in our life that we need to be willing to be allowed to nail to a cross so that those things can die, that we have to take up our cross daily and follow him, it means that we need to repent. We need to turn away from, to allow the old self to be dead and gone and turn and follow Christ. Is this your time where the best gift you can give yourself this Christmas is to turn and follow Christ? Is this the time where the best gift that you can give your family this Christmas is to make the decision that I'm going to repent, I'm going to turn away from the old self, and I'm going to turn and I'm going to follow after Jesus, that I'm going to take up my cross each and every day, that I'm going to nail my guilt, I'm going to nail my shame, I'm going to nail my addiction and my depression and my temptation, I'm going to nail all of that to the cross, I'm going to crucify it each and every day, and I'm going to follow Jesus with everything I have. That is the best gift that you can give yourself and your family this Christmas, and it's the one thing that we can each give back to God because he gave us so much. You can give him your heart. You can give him your life. You can give him this choice that says, today, Lord, I repent. I'm going to turn and follow you. Where are you at today? Are you alive? Do you have life in Christ? Jesus said that he came that we could have life and have it more abundantly. Where do you find yourself at today? Forgiveness, it's available to you. Forgiveness is immediate. You can have it right here, right now. Jesus did that. He died on the cross in your place because he cares about you personally. He did all of this so that the scripture could be fulfilled because God has had this plan since the very foundation of the world, since the very moment that man messed up in the garden. God already had a plan for our redemption, and that plan's name is Jesus. And then Jesus said, it is finished. This work is done. I've completed everything the Father sent me to do. I've paid the price for their sin. I've borne their guilt and their shame. God's wrath has been poured out on me to the point that I looked up and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said, it is finished, which for you and for me means it's done. We don't have to earn it. We don't deserve it, but we get it freely as a gift. He gives it to us. It's finished. But then we have to do what Jesus did when he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. We have to make sure that we're trusting in the right things. And the only thing that we can trust in is Christ. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father except through me. What are you trusting in today? Where do you find yourself? Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for your church, Lord. And Lord Jesus, I'm so humbled as as I think about all that you endured, allowing yourself to be nailed to a cross, allowing yourself to be beaten beyond recognition, allowing a crown of thorns to be jammed into your head until they pierced your skin and the blood ran down your face, allowing yourself to die in my place. In this time of year, we love to think about you, Lord this beautiful baby born in a manger, Jesus, but you were born for the cross. You were destined for this. You knew from the moment that you were born that this is where you were headed, yet you did it anyway. You stayed the course anyway. You were obedient anyway. Lord, thank you for dying in our place. And Lord, right now, if there's anyone who hears my voice that has not received the forgiveness that you've made available and immediate for us, Lord. I pray that through your Holy Spirit that you would move on them. Jesus, you said if you'd be lifted up, you would draw men to yourself. And I pray right now in this moment that you would draw them to yourself, that your Holy Spirit would convict them of their sin, that he would give them the faith to believe that they would recognize, Jesus, that you are the only way 
And today they would choose to repent, to take up their cross and follow you, to leave the old behind and to pursue you. Lord, I thank you for your church. I thank you for your people. I pray that you be glorified in us and through us. And Jesus, it's in your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, I love you.